Okay, we're in Revelation chapter 14, verse 14 through 20. God has warned. Will you listen? That is the question. Would you please stand as we read the word of God together? Then I looked and behold a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap. For the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar and had the power over fire and cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city, and the blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridle for 1,600 furlongs. This is the word of God. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of your word. And we thank you that you are so merciful, so gracious that you warn us and warn us and warn us to turn and live, turn and live, turn and live. May we hear you speak to our spirits today words of truth. And may we heed what you are telling us today. Holy Spirit, we want to hear from you. Speak to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So as you know, the theme of Revelation is clear. Everybody should have this down. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming in judgment. Yes, and Jesus is coming to reign as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And last time we met, we talked about mankind's last chance. Mankind's last chance. And God has extended enormous mercy to people. In the, in the tribulation period, he'll, he'll extend enormous mercy in the tribulation period. Remember, it starts with the two witnesses in Jerusalem. They prophesied for, for 42 months. And the Jews in Jerusalem get enough information from these two prophets that when the Antichrist sets up the abomination of desolation, which, by the way, speaks and breathes, you talk about a miracle, that these Jews know from the book of Daniel, exit stage left. They're heading off to Basra. Now, I have a couple pictures here that I just want to review with you. Remember, it's in Jerusalem that the two witnesses are doing their witnessing. And when they see the abomination, they know this is the remnant that will flee to Basra or Petra. They're in the same vicinity. This is the exit route. Now, these people, when they exit, they are not saved. They will not be saved until Jesus comes back and they actually will go to Basra. They will plead for him to return and he will rescue them from Basra. That's another lesson when we talk about the campaign of Armageddon, which was quite extensive, quite extensive. Now, there's another picture here that when you go to Petra or you go to Basra, this is what you'll see. This is the sheepfold. The sheep will be protected. And remember, Antichrist army will chase the, this fleeing remnant, and they will be swallowed up by the earth. And then Antichrist will turn on the rest of the believers, whether they're Jewish or Gentile believers. So that we have learned, the two witnesses, then we had the 144,000 Jewish evangelists. And remember, they were the first fruits, the first fruits, the first of the harvest, the first that were saved in the tribulation period. That gives credence to what? A pre-tribulation rapture. It doesn't talk about the saved people being in the tribulation. These were the first fruits. Those who were first saved. And they had a tremendous ministry. Remember, their ministry was so effective 
in Revelation 7, 9, that there was a massive harvest of every nation, tribe, tongue, and people. Out of all over the earth, people are saved because of their witness. And then we had the three angels, one with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, I don't know how this happens. I mean, it's almost like believing in Santa Claus coming on the 25th of December, and he's going to every house and that sort of thing. All I know is it says this angel, as they come in sequence, boom, 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 will be at the zenith or the peak of the heavens. Some people will see them, but everyone will hear their message. This is the gospel. Believe in the gospel. Believe in the gospel. The second one will come around right after that saying Babylon has fallen. Antichrist domain will come to an end. And the third angel then cries out with a loud voice, don't take the mark of the beast. If you do, you're doomed. Don't take it. One after another. One thing that we know about Antichrist's kingdom is that it will be a specific duration of time, about seven years. The last three and a half years, of course, will be the worst. He'll be ascending to power, but he will assert his authority at the three and a half year point, and the abomination of desolation will come up. And if you do not take the mark, he will kill you, or he will chase you, or he will imprison you, or do something bad to you. That'll be the last half of the tribulation. But we know his days are numbered. And that he will be destroyed completely and suddenly. Remember last time we talked about Jeremiah 51, 8 says this. When Babylon's destruction comes, when her destruction comes, it will be sudden. Boom. Revelation 18, 8 says her plagues will come in a day. Revelation 18, 10 in one hour. So it goes long, longer to shorter periods of time. In one hour, boom, the whole thing is done. When does it happen? When Jesus Christ returns. In Revelation chapter 19, 15, and 19, 19, we went through those verses last time. When Jesus comes to reign as King of Kings, he will take Antichrist, the false prophet, throw them into the lake of fire, all the earth dwellers will be killed, and Satan will be bound in Revelation chapter 20, verse 1 and 2, and thrown in the pit for how long? A thousand years confined. Hip, hip, hooray. And then Jesus talks about hell. He warns about the lake of fire. He warns about the eternity about being separated from God. He says that hell is eternal. And I don't know if you remember this, but in Matthew 25, 46, I emphasize this. So if I'm a good teacher, you should have some recollection of what I'm saying here, that hell is everlasting. He's, Jesus said this, in these will you go into everlasting punishment. The word was ionios, ionios, everlasting. And then he says, and the righteous into eternal life. Ionios, eternal life. Jesus is telling us something very specific. Hell is eternal. It's not temporal. It isn't a place where people get burned up and that's it. Although I'd like to believe that, but that is not what the Bible teaches. And heaven is eternal. Ionios, they're both eternal. Jesus said it, so what does that mean? That settles it. If Jesus says it, that settles it. Remember God's lifeline. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but have how much life? Everlasting life. God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world. He did not send him to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. He who believes is not condemned. He who does not believe in the name of the son of God is condemned already because he has not believed in the son. Oh, folks, believe in the Son. Put your trust in the Son. That is what is so plainly illustrated in Scripture over and over. Now, in our text today, 
we're going to see that God will separate the true from the false. He will separate the true from the false. It starts in verse 14 and through 16. Then I looked and behold a white cloud. Now this is the Shekinah glory of God. That's what this tells me. And on that cloud sat one like the son of man. Now let me say this. There's a controversy whether this is Jesus or whether this is a mighty angel of some sort. And I will. Cl- and the reason for that is, is that, uh, well, I'll s- elaborate on that in just a second. Uh, having on his head a golden crown, a Stephanos crown, not a diadem, a Stephanos crown, a, king, a, a, a Stephanos crown is a victor's crown, a diadem is a king's crown. And in his hand a sharp sickle, and another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice, To him who sat on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap. For the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Now again, this is a controversy whether this is Jesus or whether this is an angel. And it's the controversy is, I'll be elaborating on that in just a second. First question is, Who is the one sitting on the white cloud like the Son of Man? And again, some believe it's an angel. Some believe it could be Jesus Christ. And the reason it's questionable is because the angel is giving an instruction to the one on the cloud. Jesus would not take the instruction. He would be given the instruction. So that's one of the arguments. Also, he has a Stephanos crown, a victor's crown, not a diadem, a king's crown. So that adds to the credence that it, that it could not, maybe it's not Jesus. Maybe it is an angel. And there are many people that believe this, okay? But there is a hint here that I want to give you. The one that, that is coming, when Jesus comes, he will come as a victor. He will come as a victor, as a judge. And I want to suggest to you something. Angels are not victors. Angels are taking orders from the king to do what the king wants. Revelation 19.15 describes the victor. And we went through that several times, but I'll read this to you again. Out of his mouth is a sharp sword. He strikes the nations. He himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is a victor. This is a victor. Jesus is coming as a victorious king. A victorious king. And he will rule with a rod of iron. Now, further clarification on who this might be. Let's allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. So if you would, if you can get there quicker than I can, which you can't because I'm there. (laughs) Actually, I'm not there, but I'll be there before you. Oh, yes, yeah. So it's Daniel chapter 7, 13. That was good. Daniel chapter 7, 13 and 14. This is Daniel's fourth vision. And Daniel is seeing this sight in heaven. He's watched this. I was watching in the night visions. Watch the word usage here and how similar it is to what we've just read in Revelation. And behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the ancient of days. They brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. This is Jesus. And that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. That's Jesus, isn't it? Which shall not pass away in his kingdom, the one that shall not be destroyed. So it gives us a little hint here who this person might be, but that's not, all, that's not the only thing. Matthew 26, 64. 
Nevertheless, I say this to you. Hereafter, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power, coming on the clouds of heaven. On the clouds of heaven, just like it was in our text today. And then we have Acts chapter 1, verse 9 through 11. And this is where Jesus is going to ascend into heaven. And his disciples are watching him. He was taken up in a cloud, in verse 9, received out of their sight. And then the two angels who stood by are saying, this same Jesus will come in like manner as you've seen him go up into heaven. He went up in the cloud. He will come back in the cloud. So it's kind of kind of leaning towards who this person is on the cloud, is it? It's kind of given us more evidence. But in Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, it kind of puts the, the, the crescendoing moment on it. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. So I think, and like I say, this is debatable. There's a lot of people that don't think this. I don't think it changes the text. But I, I believe that this one on the clouds is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he'll be doing the reaping. The one we're seeing on the cloud, which should come up on the screen, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's going to separate the true believers from the make-believers. The true believers from the make-believers. Remember, God has warned, and God has warned, and God has warned, will you listen? That is the message today. Now, this question, the second question is, who are reaped? This is another big controversy. Some people believe that it is the unbelievers that are reaped and taken into judgment. Other, believe, other people believe that it is the believers that are reaped and kept safe for the kingdom of God. Let's try to elucidate the answer to this question. Again, there are really good Bible scholars that differ on their opinion here. I'm simply giving you my opinion. If you don't like that opinion, stick with your opinion. <laughs> so let's examine the text closely. The harvest is mature. Now, what is normally harvested in Israel? It's wheat, isn't it? It's wheat. It's going to be, it's ready to be reaped. There's no more delay. The harvest of the earth is ripe. Now, what is the sickle and who does the reaping? I think the sickle is Jesus coming ready to reap. He's going to have his angels do the reaping. Jesus will separate his people from the reaping angels who are going to reap the lost. I'm going to give you more credibility for this in just a second as we get into the parable of the wheat and the tares. The earth dwellers in rebellion, in rebellion against Jesus are reaped, are taken away. Remember, I just read several times in, in recent teachings then in Revelation 19, 19 and 21, Jesus comes back and he immediately deals with a word. The Antichrist, the false prophet, lake of fire. Later on in verse 20 or 21, he, the earth dwellers are killed. And in Revelation 20, again, Satan is thrown into the pit. He is reaping, he is taking the evil away and leaving the good people to possess the kingdom. That is the picture here. So the enemies are taken. Now, the parable of the wheat and the tares, if you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 30, 13, verse 36 through 43. Matthew 13, 36 through 43. Now, Jesus has already explained, has, has given the parable. The disciples, like the rest of us, are going, huh? Huh? What are you talking about? 
So he's going to explain it. So it's, it, you cannot miss this. You cannot miss what Jesus is saying here. Picking it up in verse 37. He, his disciples ask him the questions in 36, and Jesus gives them the answer in 37. He who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom. Those are the saved ones. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one. Remember, the tares are the ones that look like wheat, sound like wheat, smell like wheat, have everything to look like wheat until the harvest. And then there's a difference. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are the who? The angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, who's reaped? The tares are reaped and they're burned in the fire. So it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness. Habitual way of life counter to God. And, and cast them into the furnace of fire. And there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. These are the ones that are reaped. Then the righteous shall shine forth. Oh, they're left. And they, as for, forth as a son in the kingdom. These are the ones that go into the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. So that's the parable of the wheat and the tares. Again, it's the judgment that separates the true from the false. Now look, at, we are very comfortable. We are very comfortable with the baby Jesus coming on Christmas morning, aren't we? And we're very comfortable with the Savior Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But we are not so comfortable with Jesus as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. We are not so comfortable with Jesus coming as judge. We are not so comfortable with Jesus coming in wrath. And wrath. 1915 again says he strikes the nations with the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. Look at Jesus' wrath. Jesus' judgment are just as much a part of him as his loving kindness, gentleness. It composes all of Jesus. It isn't just out of kilter. He is balanced. That is who he is. We are seeing here eternal judgment for those that are rejecting. And this is a warning. Again, God is warning. Will you listen? God is warning. Will you listen? Now, I want to emphasize something here. There is no wrath for God's children. No wrath for God's children. They are separated from the make-believers by Jesus himself. That's what I believe. Now, again, Andy Woods on his site has this little thing says, no wrath. I just love this. Because no matter how you look at the tribulation, you are not going to experience the wrath of God. No matter where you fall on your belief in this, you won't experience the wrath of God. Folks, that is good news. That is good news. It is good news to me and hopefully good news to you. No wrath. No wrath. Now, facts about the church, talking about weed and tares and that sort of thing. Weed and tares and that sort of thing. The church has always been composed of true and false believers. You realize that, don't you? Chuck Smith once said that he, at Costa Mesa, there's thousands of people, and he says 30% of you are probably genuine. Isn't that something? I mean, that had to be shocking to that crowd who all think they're in. Yeah, we're in, we're in, we're in, okay? Let's, let's examine this a little bit. There's always been tears in the church. Jude verse 3 says this. Says this. 
once I get there. There it is. Okay. Uh, I found it necessary to write to you to contend earnestly for the faith, faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. Why did they have to contend? For even at that point, this was happening. Certain men have crept in unnoticed who were marked out for condemnation ungodly men. And they had, they were, they were, they turned against the grace of God. They denied the Lord Jesus. They were tares amongst the wheat. There's always been that tares amongst the wheat. Now, because someone says they're a Christian does not mean that there are, they are Christians. Do you realize that? Do you, I, that is a true statement. Now, I've had people just walk up and walk right out of the church because they believe in eternal security. And my brother at age six made a profession of Christ and never again, never again had anything to do with the things of God. And I said, you can't know whether those people are saved or not. I'm not the judge. Only the judge of the earth knows. But there is no assurance there. Absolutely zero. I would be scared to death. Talk about thin ice. Uh, is it going to crack? Yeah. Thin ice. Thin ice. You don't know. Look at Because people go to church does not make them a Christian. Because they, they ascribe to a certain tradition doesn't make them a Christian. Because they say their prayers, go to confession, take communion, are baptized, tithe, join the church, sing in the choir, help the poor and the needy, all great stuff. They don't drink, they don't take drugs, they don't run with women who do, that whole thing. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. I'm a wonderful citizen. They're great, wonderful citizens. But it doesn't mean you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. It doesn't mean that you've been born again of the Spirit. God views sin very differently than man views sin. And I think there will be many, many, many shocked on the day of judgment. How do I know this? Because Jesus gave us a heads up in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. Watch this. Now, you are familiar with this. Now, in context, Jesus is talking to the, to the false prophets, the false teachers. But I think it has a word for each one of us today, a warning for everyone. Watch what Jesus said in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, kurios, kurios, my master, my savior, my owner, Kurios shall enter the kingdom of God. Because you're saying it doesn't mean you're there. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. What is the will of the Father? To know the Son. To believe in the Son. To rely on the Son. To commit yourself to the Son. That is what he's talking about here. Many will say to me in that day, the judgment day, Lord, Lord, watch this. We've prophesied in your names. That's a big deal in the church. They cast out demons in your name. We've done wonders. We've done miracles in your names. And then Jesus will say to them these words. Now, won't this just shock you right down to your knees? I, I declared to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That is a sobering verse, set of verses. That is, that is sobering. That is something to really think about. Remember, sin is a big deal to God. It's not such a big deal to humans. You know, my, usually humans rationalize their sin. Uh, I'm, I'm, well, I'm much better than Joey next door or Sally down the street. Well, look at her, what she's doing compared to me. My sins are nothing. Certainly God's going to love me. Look at God does not wink at sin. 
Let me say that again. God does not wink at sin. Mankind may wink, but God doesn't. You know what sin brings? Sin brings death. And that is the reason every one of us die. Romans 5.12 makes this very clear. By one man, who is that man? Adam, sin entered the world. And death through sin. And death passed upon all men. Because how many have sinned? Because all have sinned. All of us have sinned. God does not wink at sin. Sin must be dealt with. Sin must be dealt with. It can't be swept under the rug. It is so egregious to God that it's the death penalty. It's the death penalty. It's what's required. Sin, what is sin? Well, sin is breaking God's law. It's missing the mark of perfection. See, if you kept the law perfectly, you could go to heaven. You can't do it. (laughs) Nobody can. We're too pitifully depraved. We cannot keep, we cannot be perfect. So we need someone to die in our place. Who did that? Jesus did that. You know the answer to that. So remember this. Romans 3.23 could not be more clear. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How many is all? All of us. That's right. All of us have sinned. And then there's a payment for sin or a wage earned for our sins. Oh, goody, we get a payment. Oh, no, this is not a goody. It's death. It is death. Ezekiel 18.20, the soul that sins shall die. Sin is a big deal to God. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Sin is a big deal to God. And then there's this great rescue, isn't there? But the gift, the gift, the free gift, the free gift. God is crying, take the gift, take the gift. The free gift is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Remember, it is Jesus who gives the gift. He can give it because he died in our place. He died in our place. John 3.36 is pivotal, folks. It is pivotal. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. He who does not believe in the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. It is very important that you have this thing right about how to be saved. And we're going to get more into that in just a second. You have to believe. You know, over 200 times in Scripture, salvation is based on believing in Jesus Christ. And I want to say, I'm emphasizing in for a reason, more in in just a second here, but believing in Him, placing your trust in Him, is essential. Remember, Jesus took all of the wrath that we deserved. He died so that I could live. That is clear as, as the gospel can get. And I have been declared not guilty because Jesus took my guilt. His righteousness is credited to me. Jesus, when he died on the cross, paid the death penalty, paid the debt that I owed in full. When he cried out on the sixth cry from the cross, remember that? To tell us die. It is finished. Paid in full. Ransom price paid. For those who will believe and receive the gift of salvation. That is good news. That is good news. Now, the wrong view of many, many, many people is the good person view. And I don't know how many people you've witnessed to, but I've witnessed to quite a few, and it usually gets down to this. I'm a good person. And you give them the D. James Kennedy method for salvation, and you ask them this question, and you'd know right where they're at. If you were to die today, 
and stand before your God. And he says, why should I let you into my kingdom? How would you answer that question? And the vast majority will say, I've done my best. I've been a good person. And I'll just have to leave it to God to allow me to come in. And then you can tell them the truth. You need a savior. You can tell them about all their goodness and give them the Ten Commandments and give them the the Ray Comfort, uh, the line about them being an adulterous, blasphemous, thieving liar, and you're not getting into the kingdom. (laughs) If you go through the whole thing, but that's the short version. So I'm a good person. Certainly God will let me into his kingdom. The problem is this. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 12, in, in the short version is this. There's none righteous, no, not one. No, not one. There is none who does good. None who does good. None who seeks after God. Isaiah 64, 6 says, all of our righteousness is as what? Filthy rags. And we don't have to elaborate on that. That's for a different time and a different group. I'm so much better than Sammy or Linda or whoever it is. I do great things. And it permeates humanity, folks. This, this argument permeates humanity, and it's patently false. It's not true. The truth is, is we all need a Savior. Now, since we're talking about this, this is a very important time. Most of you are really paying attention. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. I don't see anybody sleeping or snoring or anything. Great. Okay. If you're sleeping or snoring on the TV, then you listen up. We want to know what believe means. That is the, it isn't, look, salvation isn't saying a prayer, although people can do that to be saved. It is believing and putting your trust in Jesus. So the word believe is the verb pistio. Remember, it's an action, something you do. It means commit to, put your trust in, or rely on Jesus as your Savior. It's more than mental assent. So many people say that I believe that Jesus did this. No, you have to believe in Jesus doing it for you personally. For you personally. It is not simply believing that Jesus Christ lived or was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. That's the gospel. That's what we tell people to believe in. But if you have mental assent to that, uh, an intellect knowledge of that, and you haven't personalized it, you are not saved. It is believing in Jesus Christ as your sin bearer, as your Savior. It has to be personal. There's a big difference between the word that and in. Believing that Jesus did that and in Jesus did that for me. Big difference. James 2.19 says, even the demons believe and tremble. Now, there is a problem that we have. I don't know if you've experienced this problem, but I certainly experience it as a pastor, particularly at funerals. When you are burying somebody that has made a profession of faith and then never lived for, never lived for Christ, and these are termed either lost or carnal Christians. What do you do with carnal Christians? That muddies the water, doesn't it? See, First and Second Corinthians deal with carnal Christians. So there is such a thing as carnal Christians. But carnal Christians never know themselves, their friends, their family, if they're really in. They can't have assurance because they're not living out their faith. One cannot know. But what you can know for sure is that one day God will separate the true from the false. 
1 John 5.13 is an encouragement for every believer. It says this, These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Why is, why is John saying that in 1 John? Because 1 John is a whole book about sanctification. The whole thing is living out your faith for real. And if you're living out your faith for real, you can know that you know that you know that you have eternal life. When you breathe your last breath, you can know that you are in the presence of God. It isn't going to be, oh, let's flip a coin. Am I going to make it or not? I don't know. No, you want to know. Every single believer is meant to live out their faith. Every single one. And that's the only way that you can really know that you're in this. There will be a final gathering of the, of the lost, verse 17 through 20. And this has to do with Armageddon. This is a leap forward, giving us a little picture of Armageddon. Then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven. He also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, who had the power over fire, and cried with a loud cry to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sickle, gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes, ah, different entity, her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, gathered the vine of the earth, threw it into the great wine press of the wrath of God. You cannot miss that this is judgment. This is judgment. And the wine press was trampled outside the city, and the blood came out of the wine press up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs, which is 180 to 200 miles. This is Armageddon. And by the way, Armageddon is, a sing, is not a single battle. It's a campaign. And actually, there's seven things that will happen surrounding Armageddon and Jesus' return. And we will talk about those in a few weeks. So stay tuned. So the earth is ripe for harvesting. The grapes are fully ripe. No more will be saved. No more will be saved. The last earth dweller, whoever is going to believe, no more. The first group will reap were the, were, were the believers. The second group that are, that, are, that, are, that are going to be, excuse me, the first group that were reaped are the believers are safe and sound. They go into the kingdom. This group is destroyed. This is the campaign of Armageddon. Fully ripe. What does that mean? Fully ripe. Full development. Forever they've turned their back on the potential to be saved. God said something to us through, through Moses in Genesis chapter 15, verse 16, when he said the iniquities of the Amorites had not yet reached its zenith, has reached its peak. See, God is so patient. He waits and he waits and he waits, even for the Amorites, 400 years before he dealt with them. And he waits and he waits and he waits, but now he's waited to the, to the nth degree. And his patience and his mercy are abundance, but there's a time when his wrath will fall. And he doesn't do this gleefully. This, has, this is a sadness to God for this. Remember, his heart is for people to turn and live, to turn and live. They will experience the full wrath of God, the full wrath. Remember, the Bible has warned, will you listen? Now, I want you to be aware of something, something, something. The wine press was trampled outside the city, always referring to Jerusalem. That is Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the city of God. It's spared from destruction. 
And Jerusalem is a place where God has placed his name. Now watch this. This is Jerusalem. These are the valleys surrounding Jerusalem. And they form what is called, what we would traditionally call the Shin. It is more properly called Shin or Sheen, meaning El Shaddai, and it's pronounced S H E E N, Sheen. Sheen. Now, the next picture will show you what these, what these valleys are. This is the Hinnom Valley, the Valley of Gehinnom or Gehenna. Where Jesus, this was where the trash was burned and it was smoldered and, and it stunk. This was a picture of hell. Then you have the Tyropian Valley. Then you have the, the Kidron Valley, the Mount of Olives. When you go to Israel, you'll stand on this mount with all the graves that are here pointed towards the Temple Mount, all expecting the resurrection to come and be raised towards the Temple when Messiah comes. This is the place. This is again the Sheen. El Shaddai, God Almighty, imprinted on the city of Jerusalem. Now also watch on the next one. God has placed his name on the mountains surrounding Jerusalem. Now you will see this. Jerusalem and on the mountains. Again, the Shin. The Shin. Israel is a special place and a special people in the eyes of God. And one day... This special people will know their Messiah. In mass, they will convert. That is, as Jesus returns. The Armageddon campaign, or Armageddon review, it's a campaign again, extends for 180 to 20 miles. And Armageddon, I want you to know, is a staging area. It's a staging area for the world's armies aligned against Israel and against Jesus. When Antichrist attacks when he leaves Megiddo, why don't you put up the next slide here? Thank you, Reagan. This is, this is Megiddo. When you stand on this little mountain and you look over here and your guide tells you this is an, a secret Israeli airstrip. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But he tells you, yeah. Uh, this is Megiddo. Napoleon said that this, is the, this could field all the armies of the world could be fit right in here. This is a staging area. And what will happen is Antichrist is, will assemble all of his army here to march on Jerusalem to try to kill every last vestige of Jews that are on the earth. That is what he's going to try to do. Destroy the Jews in Jerusalem. And he will actually take over the city. And he, will de- he won't destroy the city, but he'll, he'll take over the city. He'll defeat the Jews. They'll give a good account of themselves. But they will end up going down. And then it goes on from there, but that's a different lesson. So, Isaiah describes this scene perfectly. Who is this who comes from Edom? And I think this is Jesus. With dyed garments from Basra. This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I who speak in righteousness mighty to save. Who, why is your apparel red and your garments like the one who treads the winepress? I have tried in the winepress all alone. And from the peoples, no one was with me. For I have trotted them in my anger. Listen to this. This is Jesus. In my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments and I have stained all my robes. 
For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. I looked, but there was no one to help. And I wondered, and there was no one to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation for me, and my own fury sustained me. I have trodden down the peoples, again, in my anger, made them drunk in my fury, and brought down their strength to the earth. Folks, the Antichrist and his armies will be assembled to fight against Jesus. And with a word, Jesus will defeat them. 2 Thessalonians 2.8 says this, And the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. This is the awesome crescendo of the day of the Lord. End of all resistance on earth, and it will be complete. Again, Antichrist, false prophet, Satan, earth dwellers in rebellion, all will be dealt with. Hebrews 10.31 is sobering. It is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Finally, we're closing. And I'm doing good. Okay. God has warned, will you listen? That's the question. God always warns before he judges. We realize that that is a principle with God. I don't know how many times he's come to your house and warned you, warned you, warned you, because he can warn believers too, that they, there's going to be judgment here. For you, if you're conducting yourself in this manner that is improper, it doesn't mean you're going to lose your salvation, but you're going to be suffering some. He warns us. God's heart is always for people to turn and live. Now, there are some facts that we have to remember. The majority of humanity will ignore the warnings. Right out of the chute, the majority will ignore the warnings. The majority do not believe what the Bible says about judgment. The majority do not believe there is a God or that they, or they make up God in their own minds. Have you ever seen people do that? Just make up a little bitty God that I control. Yeah, the little bitty God. Another fact, the majority cannot fathom the thought of God actually being wrathful and they cannot fathom this type of cataclysmic events and neither can we. I mean, this type of cataclysm is beyond the pale. But it doesn't help us to be like the three monkeys, does it? I'm, I, can't, I don't hear what you're saying. I can't see what's going on. And I don't say anything. I mean, this does not help anyone. By not talking about this because it's too scary. It's too difficult. I can't bear the thought. Look, at we are supposed to know what's coming. And to be great witnesses for our Lord in the meantime. We are to fight the good fight of faith. And be like Paul in, in 2 Timothy 4.7. How would you like this said about you? I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. I have kept the faith. Lord, finish strong. Finish strong. Let's go through the finish line. You know, with our chest out, bursting forth. And not just, you know, kind of stumbling. And, and you know, burst through the finish line. Burst through it. Tell people about Jesus and his love. Folks, today is still a day of grace. Today is still a chance for people to, to turn and not experience the carnage of the tribulation. The invitation is wide open, but there will be a day of judgment. Every person must stand before God and give an account of their lives. No one will miss that appointment. No one will say, I was late. No one will say the traffic was too bad. No one will have any excuse whatsoever. No excuses. God sees everything. He says that he sees every thought, every motive, 
everything in a person's heart. He sees it wide open. Again, everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him whom we must give an account. It will be at this time, when you stand before your Lord, that you are so thankful that you are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, that his righteousness has been credited to you, and that you stand there pure and holy and clean before your God. Now you will be judged for your works after salvation, and you will receive rewards or loss of rewards based upon what you've done with the gifts that God has given you. But you will not be condemned. You will not experience the wrath of God or separation from God. Those who do not have Jesus Christ will stand at the great white throne judgment and experience the wrath of God. The books will be open. They'll be found pitifully inadequate and they'll be cast in the lake of fire. So unnecessary. So unnecessary. So sad. We are living in a world that denies the return of Jesus Christ to judge the earth. Do you know this? All world religions deny this. All world religions, without exception, deny this except Christianity. But denying and doubting does not change the facts. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming in judgment. And Jesus is coming to reign as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. For everyone hearing this message, God has warned, will you listen? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to study your word. Lord, we thank you that you sent your son. Father, you sent your son, and he came here and lived like one of us, and he died for us that we might live with you. And the only requirement is that we believe in, put our trust in, rely on, commit ourselves to the Lord Jesus Christ and follow him. Trust him as our Savior. Oh, the gift is there. If you have never received the gift, today is your day. Behold, today is the day of salvation. When God pricks your heart, that's the time to move. If you have been a make-believer and not a true believer, make this the greatest day of your life. Come into the family of God for real. And live the Christian life. It's the greatest life going. It really is. You have a hope. You have a future. You have a God that is with you through it all. He will bolster you. He'll protect you. He'll preserve you. His presence is more important than anything. Particularly when your day comes, when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you will fear no evil, for your God is with you. You can say that knowing it. Thank you for this time to study your word, the inerrant word of God. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.